Rogues Gallery Uncovered Bad Behaviour in Period Costume A non-judgmental grope into the scandalous underclothes of history's greatest libertines, lotharios and complete bastards. This podcast contains adult themes and a touch of colourful language. So, watch it. Hey Nonny, it's the Love Doctor, with Dr Simon Foreman. The following tale is written in the present tense of the period in which it's set, and as such may contain attitudes and opinions of the protagonists and their times which would today be considered unacceptable. As I'm not a sexually voracious Elizabethan physician, those views are obviously not mine. Additional disclaimer, all medical advice in this account is 400 years out of date and should be ignored. London, 1595 Queen Elizabeth and the handsome doctor walk side by side through the winding lanes and closes of Tudor London. The doctor's long, fur-lined gown displays his learning and status. The Queen's flimsy white shift and petticoat shows that she's just got out of bed. The couple pass a raucous group of laughing men, from whose ranks emerges a tall fellow with a red beard. The doctor recognises him as an impertinent weaver and is outraged when he not only addresses the elderly Queen in coarse and familiar tones, but then plants a kiss upon her virgin lips. Taking Her Majesty by the arm, the gallant doctor escorts her down a secluded side alley where her white undergarments soon become splattered with mud. The grateful queen looks coquettishly at her saviour. I will grant you a favour if you wait upon me, sir, she purrs. The doctor smiles and lifts her clothes above her waist. If I make your belly bigger, your nightdress will no longer drag in the dirt, he grins lasciviously. The queen giggles, her thick white makeup cracking, and leans against him, hands roaming boldly. As their faces come closer together, the doctor prepares to kiss and dally with his new love, Elizabeth, Queen of England. <laughs> then he wakes up. Oh, bollocks. Dr Simon Foreman groggily reminds himself to write down this erotic yet treasonous dream of overage sex in his journal before consulting astrological charts to see what his day has in store. For a medical man, the influence of the heavens is more than simply an organisational tool. It's an important part of the diagnostic process. <coughs> How can one tell if unpleasant symptoms are the ague, the pox or the sweating sickness unless one first consults the positions of the stars and the planets? It's complex scientific theory which is why most practitioners are university graduates and licensed by the College of Physicians. As he tries to push aside arousing thoughts of a toothless geriatric regent bucking underneath him like a bundle of dry sticks, Foreman ruminates upon how his medical career has taken a slightly different route. True, he had been a scholar at Oxford, but short of funds, he'd hired himself out as a servant to a dissolute and lazy rich boy who being busy with wine, fencing and girls, made so many demands upon his time and energy that study was rarely an option. With his sights set firmly on a practice of his own, 
Foreman left college and spent years teaching himself the arts of astrology and medicine, whilst working as an unhappy school teacher and itinerant labourer. Without a degree or a licence, when he finally did set himself up as a physician, he often found himself embroiled in legal disputes, which occasionally led to imprisonment. As his reputation grew, however, and the money started to roll in, he persevered with his vocation to use the latest advances in modern medicine to bring health to the suffering. As he empties a clay pot of urine out of his bedroom window and into the street below, he ponders on just how far medical science has advanced since the dark days of Henry V. Inflamed joints can now be eased by liberal applications of warm cow feces. Bald, barren heads can once more sprout luxuriant locks, but only if treated using a salve distilled from burnt dog excrement. Even toothache can be cured by immersing one's scrotum in vinegar. Ladies, of course, must firmly apply the small insects found under stones to the affected area. Foreman's greatest medical triumph to date, though, has been curing himself of the plague, which he believes he caught during a visit to the town of Ipswich. Patients flocked to his surgery when they heard how he'd tamed this normally fatal condition by drinking strong water, lancing the unpleasant buboes as soon as they appeared, and only bleeding himself the once. This was difficult, as he's always been a very powerful advocate of medicinal bloodletting. As his thoughts once more return to the contents of his hose, Foreman appreciates that it's with women that he's had the most success as an expert in fertility. Medicinal scientists all agree that a mixture distilled from boiled potato root greatly increases the production of sperm while heightening libido. And although Foreman prescribes this remedy to many of his male patients, he takes a more hands-on approach to conception when visited by a pretty young wife. The man in the street might allude to it plainly as the beast with two backs or country matters. But in his private journals, Foreman refers to his particular cure-all treatment for women using a bastardised Greek word of his own invention, halaking, a clever derivation of words for cock, horn and bull. Dr Foreman lost his virginity at 29, which is practically middle-aged. He thinks people over 50 are old bodies. Immediately after the very happy event, he resolved to make up for all those wasted years by hallocking anything with a pulse, whatever one of those is. During that year's Christmas festivities, he was vigorously intimate with several women, drank to excess and nearly fell off a high tower while trying to catch some pigeons. His fellows appointed him Lord of the Revels, which seemed wholly appropriate. In the new year of 1583, he travelled from his practice in Salisbury to London, where he celebrated with two ladies at once. We lay there until we had spent all, he later wrote. Returning to Salisbury, an unconsummated sweetheart from his teenage years by the name of Anne Young arrived at his surgery and asked him to take a look at her swollen leg. The treatment was obvious, and a combination of jolly reminiscent and cowpat poultices worked wonders. Within a month, they were hallocking regularly. But still, Foreman couldn't resist the lure of London and its bawdy houses. During one such excursion, he was nearly pressed into service by none other than Sir Francis Drake as part of a military expedition to Portugal. 
Fortunately for him, he managed to wriggle out of facing sword and musket, but his joy was short-lived when he discovered that he'd caught gonorrhea. As a medical man, he well knew that the most effective treatment for this inconvenient ailment of love was to wash one's yard in a mixture of vinegar and white wine and then adopt a routine of hard pissing. This application of science meant that he was discharge-free when Dean Blake, a Bachelor of Divinity at Oxford and a doctor of the same at Cambridge, walked into his practice, accompanied by his red-haired slatten of a wife. While Dean Blake was a gentle, studious man, his wife was a slave to base desires. She dressed provocatively, never gartered her hose, enjoyed drinking, song and dance, kept low company and used lewd language. What a load of crap. The couple wished Foreman to consult the stars on their behalf, but it didn't take an astrologer to work out what would happen between the immodest wife and the halak-hungry doctor. The infallible power of astrology, however, has its drawbacks, as it can easily come between a gentleman and true love. When Foreman met an attractive, lively girl in the street one morning, he hurried home to cast a quick chart to find out if she would make him a good wife. The astrology indicated that she would indeed be good entertainment, so he found out where she lived, bought a quart of wine and presented himself at her door. All went well. Another suitor turned up, but he was sent packing and even the girl's mother invited him to stay for a meal of gammon and cheese. However, when the smitten doctor consulted the stars again, possibly to find out which month the wedding should be, the new chart told him that if he married her, she'd probably behave like a whore. So he never saw her again. So now he's back to his old ways, enjoying a long-standing affair with a married Catholic woman named Avissa. Heedless of the peril presented by both her marital status and her religion. He's also adding further pages to his extensive Halleck notes by servicing as many gentlewomen, sailors' wayward wives, and prostitutes as he can find. Avissa is pregnant at the moment, which hasn't stopped Foreman from sleeping with her in the matrimonial home, while her husband remains blissfully unaware. Their relationship, though, is volatile and they argue constantly usually when Avissa suspects or finds evidence of his infidelity, such as another woman's discarded apron. When she falls ill, her worried husband rushes to Foreman's door and asks him to prepare a special elixir to ease her discomfort. This he does, but the stress is such that Foreman prescribes himself some soothing halaking, for purely medicinal reasons, you understand. He takes one dose at 3pm with a woman named Anne, another at 6pm with someone he refers to only as anchors. And finally, to help him sleep, he enjoys a liberal application of a lady named Judith. It's little surprise that when he awakes the next morning, he's so exhausted he forgets that he hung his sword up next to the bed the night before and nearly cuts off his finger. Ow. He might regularly consult the stars, but he didn't see that coming. Foreman's astrology skills may have let him down this time, but he later became famous for accurately predicting the day of his death in September 1611. Despite being a hale and hearty 59-year-old, which was a good age in those days, he assured his wife on September the 1st that he would die the following Thursday. Nobody believed him, until he took a rowing boat out on the Thames on that fateful day and then dropped dead in the middle of the river. 
If you want to find out more about him, there's a great book by Judith Cook called Dr. Simon Foreman, a most notorious physician, a link to which you can find in the show notes. As well as his rampant shagging, Foreman was a remarkable man, and his journals and notes give us a vivid glimpse into life in Elizabethan and Jacobean England. Fans of problematic playwright William Shakespeare find Foreman particularly interesting as in his notes he includes some first-hand accounts of performances of at least three of the Bard's plays from 1610 and 1611. He saw Macbeth three times at the Globe and also caught The Winter's Tale and Cymbeline once. He wrote of seeing another play too, but no one can be quite sure which it was. Like most doctors, Foreman's handwriting was atrocious and although he says he saw Richard II, his decipherable description of what he witnessed on stage bears absolutely no relation to the plot. Maybe he was too busy with a doll commoner around the back of the theatre and made up his own story. Another Shakespeare connection is that Foreman treated, and vigorously hallocked, Amelia Lanier, England's first female professional poet and the possible inspiration for the playwright's Dark Lady. Foreman's name has also been connected to problematic naval legend Sir Walter Raleigh and his rumoured School of Night. This was a supposedly secret society of scientists, philosophers and poets who were joined in their practice of atheism, a heinous crime in the 1600s. Christopher Marlowe was also said to be a member, but the jury's still out over whether this group ever actually existed at all. After his death, Foreman was implicated in the Overbury poisonings, when the Countess of Essex was accused of having her husband, Sir Thomas Overbury, murdered in the Tower of London. He certainly got about, and there's probably going to be another episode sometime about Foreman's continuing exploits after 1595. Subscribe to the podcast to find out when that appears. As Shakespeare himself once said, Always keep on begging for more. Next time on Rogues Gallery Uncovered, You're So Vain early 20th century Italian polymath, aristocrat and war hero Gabriel D'Annunzio says that he's bedded over 1,000 women. But what are his sensual secrets? Find out in seven days. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate and review. I know it's a lot to ask for, but it really helps the podcast to grow. I'd really love to hear what you think of Rogue's Gallery Uncovered and if you've got any suggestions as to who I can feature in upcoming episodes. If you visit my website at roguesgalleryuncovered.com, there's a contact form at the bottom of the homepage. While you're there, you can also sign up for my newsletter and become a lovable rogue. Who thought being a rascal could be such hard work? That's all for now. See you yesterday.